Exodus 34, six and seven. And he passed in front of Moses. This is talking about God here. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and that's thousands of generations there, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents and the third and the fourth generation. Now, don't get caught up real quickly on that last line. We're gonna unpack that. It's actually really beautiful later in this series. But we're gonna take the next 10 weeks or so and ask ourselves the question, okay, what is God like? Because I believe that this question is truly buried in the hearts of humanity. If I had to guess, it's probably a question that you've, you've wrestled with personally. We could probably go around the room and say, hey, this is, this is what I've wrestled with. This is, this is what I've wrestled with when it comes to God and, and who he is. Some of you maybe right now, you find yourselves in this room this morning sitting here because you're wrestling with this very question. What is God? Who is God? What is he like? And I believe that the answer to this question, and this is a pretty bold statement, but I believe it to be true, the answer to this question will define you. It is the question. And the answer to this question genuinely sets the trajectory for your entire life. I love A.W. Tozer. Um, He writes this pretty amazing line back in the 20th century. He says, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. So what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by the secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. So the most important questions you can ask in life are who is God and what is he actually like? Pastor and author John Mark Comer, he writes this, He says, if you think of God as this angry tyrant in the sky, it will shape you. If you think of God as progressive, educated, in the West, tolerant, that will also shape you. If you think of God as this cosmic life coach, there simply to just make you happy and kind of give you good advice, that will shape you. Everybody has a picture of God. Everybody has this image of what he's like, right or wrong. We all do, whether Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, even atheist, we all have a picture of God. And I believe this picture comes into view through a variety of ways. You may not realize it, but your views and your perception of life are deeply formed by your experiences, deeply influenced by a number of factors including your view of God. So the family you grew up in, the relationship that that you did or you did not have with your parents, the friends that you hung around, the friends that you hang around, the way that you all talk about God deeply influences your view of God. Your church experience, I don't know what your church experience has been like, why you're here this morning, but your church experience, both good and bad, have probably affected your view of who God is. Maybe you have had significant moments in life. You've come across moments in life that have deeply shaped you, deeply formed you. For some of you, those are like good moments. You think about it and you're like, that shaped my view of God because of that experience. 
Some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, I had a traumatic experience, a really difficult experience, and it shaped and formed my view of who God is. For example, maybe you grew up in a faith tradition uh, that kind of put God in a box, and, and God was more about a set of beliefs or more about a set of practices than he was a relational being that speaks and interacts. I share all of those examples just to simply make you aware that your image of God has been shaped by more things than we typically realize. And my hope within this series, this is my hope, is that we can just come with open, open hearts, we can come with open minds, we can just come with open hands and just ask God to truly reveal himself to us as a body. Because ultimately, and I think this is true, ultimately we all long for the right picture. Like we all want the, the true, the accurate picture of who God is. And if you wanna get that picture right, if you wanna have a correct understanding, I believe you have to go to the source. And that's our heart behind this series. That you would see God for who he really is, that you would understand what God is really like in heart. Because it is and will be the most important thing about us. It will determine our trajectory as individuals. So this is the reason we've rooted this series in Exodus 34, six and seven. Rather than just simply listening to what other people are saying about God, who God is, what God's like, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to the source. What God says about himself in scripture. In the following weeks, we're gonna take a deep dive into these couple of passages. But today, here's what I simply wanna do. I wanna introduce you to this passage. I wanna give us some context for where we find ourselves kind of dropped in this story with Moses and Exodus. And I want us to help us see the significance of God's name. So kind of the importance of this passage, the context of this passage, and then I want us to really look at God's name and what that means for us. So, Let's start with the fact that scripture is first and foremost a story. It's a story about God. That's what this is. Most of the time what we tend to do is make it a story about us, but it's actually a story about God. I love what Comer says about scripture and the story of the Bible. He says this, if you strip the Bible down to the core, it's a story about God and how we as people relate to God. So if you ever get asked the question, like what's the Bible about in one sentence, because people ask you that question all the time. You could say, well, it's a story about God and how we as people relate to him. Important concept. Now, the whole of scripture, like beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, it is insight into who God is. Like it reveals his character, it reveals who he is, what he is like, but every once in a while, there are these moments, really important moments in scripture where you get the layers kind of peeled back. You get just moments of revelation where God himself, Jesus himself, will reveal who he is in heart. Exodus 34 is one of these moments of revelation. Exodus 34 is what most scholars consider to be ground zero for a theology of God. Let me help understand the importance of, of this passage and why we're gonna anchor it over the next 10 weeks together. It's the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. So you hear, you hear what I'm saying there? It's the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. 
Biblical authors from this point forward will circle back around again and again and again to this passage, Exodus 34, verses six and seven. It is all over the story of God. Jewish rabbis, they loved this text. This was like central to their culture. This was central to their religion. For Jewish people, in all honesty, this was like the John 3.16 of their day. Like this was it. Like if Tim Tebow played football back then, it wouldn't have been John 3.16. It would have been Exodus 34, 6 and 7 written on his eye black. Like that's, that's this passage for them. It's an extremely important moment here that we find ourselves in. So understand, this, this is why we're anchoring the next 10 or 11 weeks in this passage. But let me give you the context because it's actually gonna be really helpful as we move forward over the coming weeks to really understand, okay, how did we get to this moment? And the moment we're in is God describing himself to Moses, God revealing himself to Moses. I wanna give us a little context where we find ourselves. We're gonna jump into to more of Exodus right now. You may already know this, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And the setting for, for this book is the nation of Israel, God's chosen people are en route from slavery in Egypt to freedom in a new land. Long story short, beginning of Exodus to now, bumpy ride. Like the people of God have some moments that they are not proud of. Don't have time to unpack all of them, but it really culminates in a moment right before this where they actually make idols for other gods right in the midst of God bringing them out of slavery. So you kind of understand where we find ourselves. Now, leading God's people in this moment is the prophet Moses. Now, God had chosen Moses specifically to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses, he had this really special and unique relationship with God. And in fact, God tells us that he would speak to Moses as one speaks to a friend. Here's the reality. If it wasn't for Moses, the Israelites would not be where they are right now. And so Exodus 33, the chapter before, we get to kind of eavesdrop on this conversation between Moses and God. And, and Moses is asking, he's saying, God, will you go with us every step of the way from here on out? We don't want to go without you. And so I actually want to jump in. Exodus 33, starting in verse 12. You can pull it up on your phones or if you have a Bible. It's not going to be on the screen, unfortunately. So Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you, have, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. I love that. Teach me your ways, so that I may know you. Verse 14 the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? And I love this. What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. 
Now show me your glory. This, if, if you highlight, if you underline in your Bible, like this, this is a line to underline. This is a line to highlight. Now show me your glory. This is the watershed moment. When we hear the word glory, we typically think of fame. We think of notoriety. That's kind of how we use that word. But in ancient Hebrew, in this, in this book, the word glory was to speak of someone's presence, was to speak of someone's beauty. So what Moses is asking here is he's asking to see God for who he really is, to see God in person. Like, this is a big ask. Let's keep going and see how God responds. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name. Remember that, proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, where my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So paraphrasing here, God, he says, yes. He says, yes, I, I'm actually going to reveal my glory, but you're not gonna be able to handle the full picture right now in this moment. I'm gonna reveal to you who I really am but we're gonna take it kind of one step at a time in our relationship. If I showed you the full picture of who I am, it would literally kill you. So let's continue. Verse one, chapter 34. We'll read through verse five. It says, the Lord said to Moses, good job hanging with me, but this is really important. It says, the Lord said to Moses, verse one, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were first written on the tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. Verse four. So Moses chiseled out the stone, two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him and he carried the two stone tablets in hand. Then then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And what did he do? He proclaimed his name, the Lord. He proclaimed his name. He introduces himself to Moses. Really, really big moment here. Did you know that God actually has a name and it's actually not God? When God proclaims his name here, he tells us that his name is Yahweh. Our Bible translates it Lord in capital letters, but actually it's Yahweh in the original language, the language that, that Moses and God were using in this conversation. Yahweh, can everyone like say that out loud with me? Yahweh, Yahweh. you got it. Now, you're probably thinking like, okay, if his name is Yahweh, if that's God's actual name, why, why doesn't it just say Yahweh in, in our Bibles? Why is it translated, Lord? There's a couple of reasons, one, one main one, if you will just kind of nerd out with me here for a second. First of all, Yahweh is just an incredibly hard word to translate from Hebrew to English. 
The, the Hebrew language didn't actually have vowels. So they would have taken the A and the E out of there. It would have been Y-H-W-H. Didn't have vowels. That's actually scholars' best guess. They're pretty, pretty certain that that's like how you actually spell it in English, but we don't actually officially know because the Hebrew language didn't have vowels. So it's a hard word to translate. But here's the main reason. The Hebrew people, what they eventually ended up doing was stop using God's name. They, they were so afraid, they were so scared of taking the Lord's name in vain, they were so scared of breaking one of the Ten Commandments that you shall not misuse the name of Yahweh your God, that, that to them it was actually better not to use his name at all. So what they would do is they would give, uh, they would give God titles. Rather than speaking Yahweh out loud, they would give um, him like titles that would kind of replace the name Yahweh. And so the most commonly used kind of replacement for Yahweh was Adonai. Adonai, you may have heard that word in a worship song or in some other context. And the Hebrew word Adonai literally means Lord, translated Lord. And so because of the translation that was passed down and passed down, we actually have the translation Lord in our Bibles instead of Yahweh. Now, we're gonna dive deeper into God's name in the coming weeks and it's gonna be beautiful and I can't wait. The significance of God's name and all that it means is far bigger and greater than we'll ever be able to put into words. But here's what I want us to understand this morning, that God indeed has a name and what that means for us. See, let me give you just a little insight into names in this context. They had way more significance than they do Today, like today, it's like what you, your name's on like the Starbucks cup. It's what you use to make a reservation. But you wouldn't say like, my name has like real significance to me. Back then, your name wasn't just a title. Like your name was who you were in one word. It was your identity. It was your inner person. One scholar puts it this way. He said, in the world of Hebrew scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something essential about the bearer's identity origin, birth circumstances, or the divine purpose that bearer was intended to fulfill. So Moses, he is standing on the top of Mount Sinai, having asked the big question like, show me your glory, Lord. And the fact that God reveals his name is an incredibly weighty and significant moment. God is letting Moses know, hey, I'm getting ready to reveal my identity to you. I'm getting ready to let you know at the core of who I am as Yahweh God, this is who I am. His name has meaning and significance. And what I love about this moment, what I love about this moment, both for, for Moses and for us, is we, we begin to understand, okay, God isn't just some force. God is not just some idea or some concept. He isn't some system. He isn't some religion. Like God is a person, not a person in the human sense, but in the being sense. He has a name. He has a character. He wants to be known and he wants to know. That is what he's after. He is a relational God, by the name of Yahweh, that wants to be known and wants to know each and every one of us. 
do you understand the significance of this moment here in Exodus 34, verses six and seven? Let me share a little bit of my heart with you this morning for this series, kind of land the plane a little bit. My, my heart and my prayer and my hope for this series is that each and every one of us would just come with open hearts, come with open hands to see Yahweh, to see God for who he really is. And that it would generate this just burning desire in each and every one of us, not, not just to know God, but, but to know God, to know who he really is at his core, to know him like Moses did as you know a friend. Because here's the thing, I believe that if we, if we really get to know God, if we really get a full picture of who he is, it will propel us in life. It will propel you in life to live with God, to walk with God, to know God, to want to know God more, because the depths of who God is is ever, never ending. I love David in Psalm 27. David in Psalm 27 reveals to us this glimpse of someone who truly knows God, who truly knows God and what God is like. This is what verse four reads, and I'm gonna kind of switch out the Lord with Yahweh, and this is what he says. He says, one thing I ask from Yahweh, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh forever, all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of Yahweh, to seek him in his temple. I'm gonna read that one more time, but I invite you to just kind of close your eyes and, and listen, listen to the heart here as David speaks this. He says, one thing, this one thing I ask from Yahweh, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of Yahweh and to seek him in his temple. What did David know? He knew who God was. He knew what God was like. He knew that God was better than anything or anyone that he could have ever imagined. He knew that God was worth every ounce of who he was, seeking him first and foremost above everything. Remember what I said earlier? We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. So what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. To put it another way, we become like who we worship. And we worship a God who is far greater and better and magnificent than any of us will be able to put into words. I'm excited about this journey together in this series as we discover more of who, who God is. In just a moment, we're gonna have communion, and I want this time of communion to just be a simple time of prayer, a simple time of us asking God to give us a posture, a posture of openness, a posture of revelation. God, will you reveal yourself to us over the next 10 or 11 weeks as a church family? because he is so much better and so much greater than we could ever fathom or imagine. And I believe as God continues to reveal himself, our lives will be forever changed for the better.
Moses, he prayed this prayer in Exodus 33, and maybe that should be just the simple prayer this morning. Show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. Here's what I believe. Even if we just get a glimpse, like even if we just get a glimpse of his glory, of his goodness, it could be a life-altering glimpse that changes your life forever with Yahweh. Let me pray, and then we'll go to communion together. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that you reveal yourself to us, that you wanna be known by us, and that you want us to know you, that that's who you are in heart that you would reveal to us your name, that you would reveal to us your character, that you would state it so plainly. You, you want us to know you. You want us to love you. You want us to walk with you. And God, I ask over the next 10 or 11 weeks that you would just show us your glory. You would show us your glory, God, and that we would be transformed by the glimpse we get of who you are. Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Together as a whole church we say, amen.